You're listening to the teaching ministry of Rhea Briscoe, a division of Snowdrop Ministries. For more information about Rhea or how to connect with Snowdrop Ministries, please visit our website at www.snowdropministries.com or you can call 414-581-8150. We pray you are both blessed and challenged by this teaching. have your Bibles, you can open them to Luke chapter 7, Luke chapter 7, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you get to John, you've gone too far. Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 7. I'd like to begin reading in verse 37. Luke chapter 7, verse 37. It's a familiar story. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner... When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood, be, and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed, them, she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man... If he were a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is, that, 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 that this, is, this is who this woman is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owned 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to pay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore. Which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, but you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time you came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with the fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to him who, whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I, I love this story. It's, it's, it is a familiar story to each one of us, but... It speaks to my heart because this woman is me, and, and I, I just love, I, I, I really love this story, and, and I just want to play it out for you right now. I, I want you to notice that Jesus has been invited to go to dinner, and, and I love that Jesus will meet with anybody. The Bible says that he met with sinners and tax collectors, but here he's meeting with a Pharisee. Now, you know that the Pharisees are the religious elite. They were the super spiritual, and, and they were the religious leaders of the day, and I love that Jesus is going to dinner with one of them. Simon invites Jesus, he comes, and, and it, at that time, in, in Bible times, when, when somebody came to your house for dinner, if you had a dinner party, especially if it was a visiting rabbi, people could gather around the outskirts of the home, and, and, and they could listen in to what the rabbi was teaching. So it wasn't unusual that there was a crowd of people that were gathering. It wouldn't have been unusual for that woman to be there. Well, but what was unusual is that she had the audacity to come in and interrupt the dinner party. I just love that. I love that she's bold. And, but I want you to, to just picture for a moment what this woman must have been like, what her life was probably like. The Bible says that she was a sinner. Now that word, if you look it up in the original language, it doesn't just mean that she was a sinner. It doesn't just mean that she did wrong because we all do wrong. But if you look up this word in the original language, it means that she was devoted to sin devoted to sin. I, I, I love that it starts out this way, and I love that we don't know her name. She's nameless. Oh, we know the Pharisee. We know his name was Simon, but I love that she doesn't have a name. I, I love the stories in the Bible that talk about people, but they're nameless because I can substitute myself in there, and, and so she, she's not a whole lot unlike us, and I want you to put yourself in the place of this woman here. She is a sinner. She's devoted to sin. She has a reputation. Their reputation preceded her 
to dinner. Everybody knew about her past. Can I just tell you that? I have a past like that. Everybody knows about my past. Sometimes it's hard to escape your past, is it not? Oh, you may not have a past of sin. You might have a past that haunts you. Maybe something happened when you were a little boy or a little girl, and that past is still with you, and, and it, 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 it's still alive in you, even though it might have happened 30 years ago. And, and this woman's reputation, her past preceded her to dinner. Everybody knew it. Can you imagine the whispers, because she wasn't just a sinner. She, she, she was devoted to sin. Most commentators say she was probably a prostitute. And, and I love that she could still come boldly into that room, even though people were talking about her. We know that maybe they didn't say anything out loud, but we sure know from this story that Simon was thinking it. He was thinking if Jesus knew who was touching him and, and that she's a sinner, she's devoted to sin, he wouldn't want her to be touching him. He was thinking that, and I love that Jesus answered him. Because uh, don't you love that Jesus knows what we're thinking? We've got to be careful, church, what's coming through our mind, the things that we're thinking. Because I tell you, I may not know what you're thinking, but my Jesus sure does. And I, I just love that, that Jesus called him out in the carpet. What would happen if we started to call people out in the carpet for some of the garbage that we see? I, I will tell you, this woman is surrounded by religious leaders, and she is about to be hurt by one. And church, that should not be. It should not be. I will tell you that the people are being hurt in the church, and that should not be. And here, this woman, she's coming in, and there are religious leaders here in this, in, in this meeting, and, and, and he's thinking about her. He's thinking something about her, and she can't escape that past. It's with her. Some of you are here tonight and you can't escape a past. It's with you everywhere you go. It follows you. It dogs you down. This woman's past dogged her. And I just wonder whatever ever possessed her to, to, to put herself in that environment. Because isn't that what we learned early on? Don't go near people who are going to hurt you. Put up a wall. Keep yourself safe. Isolate yourself if you need to. But don't be stupid enough to go around people who are going to wound you. I wonder whatever possessed her to come into this dinner party that night when she knew that there were religious leaders, when she knew that there were people in her community who knew what she had done, people who, who really liked that she was an outsider and wanted to keep it that way, people who, who were talking about her, who were the, the whispering about her. I wonder if any of you have ever experienced that in your life. What made her come there that day? Why would she risk rejection? Why would she risk her heart, their harsh judgments? The Bible says that she learned that Jesus was going to be there. She learned that the God who came near, that baby born in the manger, the one who was born to die, was near. And she couldn't help herself. She had to go in response to that. And when you really understand that God has come near, it won't matter what people say about you. It won't matter about people's judgments of you. It won't matter what kind of past you have. Because I really believe that this woman had a past that was possessing her. I believe it, she had a past that was dogging her. I believe she knew what people were saying about her. I think that she knew she was an outsider and didn't fit in. I, I think she knew that she was, she was really marginalized in that society. And and I think she had somehow, somewhere encountered his unconditional acceptance, his unconditional love, that she'd encountered his compassion and his mercy, and she knew that God came near, and she was coming there that day in response to it. I wonder if you know that God has come near, that he's in this room tonight, that he longs to heal you from whatever's dogging you, whatever seems to possess you, whatever seems to have, 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 have locked in your identity. He wants to heal you of it and set you free. Do you know that God came near? He came near to save you, to deliver you, to set you free, to rescue you, to make you whole and restore you. Do you believe that? I think this woman got a hold of that. And she thought, I don't care what you say about me. I don't care what, what you think about me. I don't care if you know everything there is to know about me because I don't need you. I need what God came near to do for me. 
Do you know what God came near to do for you? You see, we can preach about a God who came near. Well, we, we, can, we can come to church Sunday morning and Sunday night and learn about what God, that God came near. But until you want to encounter his presence for yourself, until you get close enough to the God who came near to, to let him touch you deeply and set you free, you will always be on the outside. And she decided there is nothing holding me back from getting to the God who came near. And I'll risk it all. I'll risk my reputation. I'll risk what people say about me. I'll risk people's acceptance. And I'll risk rejection to get to God who came near. Church, what would happen if we started to risk rejection? Can I just tell you, I really don't care what people say about me. I really don't. I know what they say. But can I just tell you what? When you understand I'm getting to God that came near no matter what, no matter what people say, no matter how people respond to me, no matter what people think, I am getting to God who came near. And I'll risk it all. I will risk it all. I want to ask you, are you desperate enough to risk it all tonight? I think she was desperate enough. I think she got sick enough of being dogged by the past, being dogged by, but I wonder what made her had a past like that. Why did she have a past like that? If she was a prostitute, what made her so desperate for love that she would give herself to fraudulent love over and over and over again? Was it abuse? Was it rejection? Was it just plain rebellion? Was it hurt? Was it lack of love? What made her be willing to have a past like that? We don't know, but we know that she was willing to risk everything when she understood that God came near. Do you love it? Do you love it? She was willing to risk everything for the promise of the one who could deliver, who could set free. This week I was studying, and we've been studying the promised land. We've been studying about the Israelites taking possession. We've been, been studying about Jordan and, and Jericho and and so I just was continuing in that study, and, and I, I happened to come to the part that was talking about the cities of refuge. Anybody familiar with the cities of refuge? God said, well, I want you to appoint cities of refuge when you go in and take over this promised land. I want you to have six cities of refuge, and, and those cities were places that, 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 that if someone committed manslaughter, they could run into those cities, because what, what would happen in Bible times is if you unintentionally killed somebody, what would happen is the avenger of the blood, the family member, had a right to come and take your life. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You took our loved one's life, now we can take yours. And, and so what happened is God set up these cities of refuge where if you accidentally killed somebody, you could run into these cities of refuge and, and as long as you stayed within the barrier of that city, the walls of that city, you, you were safe from the avenger of the blood. You were safe from retaliation. Are you with me? And, and, and you had to stay in that city of refuge until the high priest died. When the high priest died, the doors would swing open and you could go free. There, there could be no more retaliation. You know, what does God call? Uh, Jesus is the high priest. He is our city of refuge. The righteous, the, we can run into him and be safe, can we not? He is the city of refuge. It's a picture of us. It's a picture of the guilty being able to run into him and find a place of refuge, a place of safety. Well, you know that I'm writing the book on Psalm 91, so I'm studying the refuge, God being our refuge and our fortress, our place of safety where we can run to and, and, and find protection and find help in our time of need. Well, because I'm, I'm thinking about this story in Luke, I'm thinking about this woman who ran to God who came near for refuge, for protection. She understood it didn't matter what the people around her were saying because she was running to God. She was running to Jesus, to the one who had come near, her refuge, her protection, her city of refuge. Are you with me? 
And so I, I'm like, Lord, I'm not going to preach on the city of refuge. Why do you have me parked in this passage? I don't have time to just sit and study this. Lord, i got to move on to the message. And why will you not let me out of studying about the city of refuge? And, and so I began to just, just really dig into that scripture. And, and I was in the shower one day, and I was saying, Lord, why will you not let this go? And what do you want? What am I missing? Show me what I'm missing in this scripture. And I kept hearing the word manslaughter in my mind. And, and as I'm in the shower, I just feel like I'm supposed to go look up the word manslaughter. I'm like, Lord, I know what manslaughter means. It, it means to unintentionally take a life. I don't need to look it up, Lord. But I got out of the shower and I, I went to, to look up the word and, and it meant what I thought it meant. And, and I began to just dwell and chew on that. And, and, and I just got to thinking about my life and and how I have a past like this woman, and, and how I've done things that I regret, and I've had things done to me that have hurt me, and, 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 and I've, I've gotten my identity from those things, and I've been wounded, and, 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 I, and I've been like her, and, and I've just been, been playing that in my mind, and, and all of a sudden I've realized that, that, that I am guilty of manslaughter. Anybody with me? That manslaughter is an unintentionally taking life, sucking life out of somebody, and I wonder how many of you have had manslaughter are committed against you, that somebody has said something or done something and it's sucked the life right out of you, it's drained you of life, it's robbed you of life. How many of you are guilty of it yourself? Well, I'm not talking about to somebody else, I'm talking about to yourself, that you've spoken things over yourself, you've believed lies, and it's robbed you of life, it's drained you of life, and like this woman, you find yourself in that place of hopelessness, and she ran to the God who came near. She ran to her city of refuge. I was studying this week about how we're created in the image of God. Do you, do you know that? That you're created in the image of God, in his likeness. Oh, I just love that picture, that he created me in his likeness, and yet I want to recreate myself all the time to try to make myself better or, or more acceptable or, or please just let me have your approval. Who do you want me to be? Because I'll recreate myself. I know I'm created in the image of God, but I must be flawed. There must be something about me because the sign Simons in my life are talking about me. The Simons in my life are rejecting me. And there must be something flawed in me. No, Rhea, you just need to come to the God who came near. You need to run to your city of refuge. And as I began to study the image of God, I came across this quote that said, and, and I, I just want to find it because I don't want to, to misquote it. Oh, I, I, I just am not going to dig through my notes. But, but here's, it's, it's, it basically says this, that, that, that a king, for example, when a king was appointed, <laughs> they would have a, uh, a monument or a statue. They couldn't be every place all the time. And so what they would do is they would, they would make a monument or a statue that would remind the people, I'm not here with you, but this is a reminder that my presence is, is near. Are you with me? This statue is a reminder. Uh, this monument is a reminder that, that, that while I'm not here physically, it's a reminder that my presence, you can't see me, but my presence is still here. My, my, my authority extends to this area. Are you with me? And so if you were to go to that monument or that statue and you were to ruin it in some way, spray paint it or try to chisel it away or destroy it, do you know that you were guilty of defaming the king's image? Oh, see, you're not with me. Are you awake? If you were to defame the image, you, it was like you were saying, if the king were here, I would be doing this to him. If you were to spit on that thing, what you're saying is, I have no regard. This is how little, if the king were here, I would spit on him. Are you with me? Do you understand that you and I are created in the image of God? And when you defame or you, you disregard or you try to, to destroy the image, what you're saying is, God, if you were here, because this is an image, this is your likeness. When, if I were to let my words wound and destroy Gwen, the image of God, I'm guilty of saying, Lord, I have no regard for you because I'm willing to do it to one created 
in your image. Okay, that's not getting you like it did me this week. We do it to ourselves. We do it to others. Some of you are here as adult women or adult men who as a little girl, you had things spoken over you. As a little boy, you had things done to you and created in his image and you forgot who you were because they defamed the image of God in you. They made you feel like you were less than or worthless. And I just want to remind you who you are. God came near to deliver you and set you free from that stuff. He wants you made whole. Run to your city of refuge. Run to the one who promises to be a fortress, to be your refuge, your strong tower. That's what she did. She said, I know what you're thinking about me. I know what you've said about me. I I know the things that you've tried to, to, to make me feel like I was, but can I tell you what? I don't care about you anymore. All I know is I need to get to God who came near. Because if I can just get to him, he has what I need. You don't have what I need. Can I tell you, no person has what you need. I I got the best, where is he? I got the best right up there. He does not have what I need. This is the best friend in the whole wide world right here. She does not have what I need. If I am looking for what I need from them, I am going to come up empty. I'm going to suck them dry and be left out to dry. Because the only one who has what I need, the only one who can heal me, the only one who can set me free, the only one who can deliver me and redeem me is God who came near. My city of refuge that I can run to and find safety. You can't touch me when I'm in his presence. When I'm dwelling and living with him. Flip over to Matthew chapter 4. I was studying the word perfect this week. The word perfect, it it bothers me a little bit because I'm a perfectionist. And and so when you put perfect in front of me, I I won't, I I see perfect. Are you with me? (laughs) Can I tell you, when the Bible talks about perfect, it, it does not mean that for all you perfectionists who understand what I'm talking about. And, and so I began to study that word perfect, and, and, and one of the scriptures that really struck me is that suffering perfects us. So I don't know where you are. Some of the people in church today are like, God does not let us suffer. He doesn't. Okay, well, let me take you to some scripture that says we're perfected through suffering. We got to watch what we're doing with the word of God, people. So I've been studying how, how, how suffering can perfect us sometimes. And, and, and so I, I was looking up that word perfect. And uh, are you at Matthew 4 yet? Flip over to Matthew 4. I, I just want you to see something. I, I, you know how I study. I, I was saying, well, this is a good word, but where else is it used? I, I just am curious. If perfect, I, I just want to know where else this word is used. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee. He sees Simon uh, called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. Do you know that that's the same word as perfect? You say, well, Rhea, how can that be? That, that word mend means to repair what has been damaged. To repair what has been damaged. They're mending their nets. God wants to perfect us. So look up the word perfect. There's all kinds of good ones. One of them says, he's going to perfect me. He's going to establish me. He's going to strengthen me. Do you just love it? That that's what God who came near wants to do in your life. He wants to perfect you. He wants to repair what has been broken in your life. Look up the word. It's what it means. He wants to establish you. He wants to strengthen you. He wants to make you whole and set you free. He wants to rescue you from danger. He wants to heal your injuries. Oh, look up the word. It means all of that. Do you just love that? That that's what God who came near came to do. That's what Christmas is all about. That baby in the manger didn't come so we could have a Christmas tree with presents underneath it. He came so you and I could be made whole. What that person did to you 20 years ago is not worth it. Run to your city of rescue, of refuge. Run to the God who came near and watch what he can do. You see, church, it is time that we start believing what we're preaching. It's time we start believing his word. His word says, call his name Jesus, 
for he will save, he will deliver, he will rescue his people. He will make them whole. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? That woman came boldly into presence of people who did not want her there, who, who really had no respect for her, who really were talking about her and gossiping about her and really kind of wanted her excluded on the outside. And she could come boldly into their presence to a God who came near because she understood that that did not identify her anymore. That the one who was able to heal, her answer was there in front of us. The Bible says that, that, that in Isaiah 61, it's a, beautiful, uh, uh, it's a beautiful passage. Somebody quoted it in prayer tonight when we were praying. And, and the word says that he came to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty, to, to set the captive free, to, to, to release the prisoner from darkness, to give us beauty for ashes. But I want you to look at that. The Bible says that he came to bind up the brokenhearted. The God who came near was coming to bind up the brokenhearted. And, and that word bind, it means to bandage, to mend one stitch at a time. It speaks of a physician who heals wounds. Do you know that Jesus said, I'm coming to bind up the brokenhearted. He wants to repair the wounds in your life. That word brokenhearted, it means that to break into pieces, to rend violently, to wreck, to crush, to be maimed, to be broken, to be crippled, to be wrecked. I wonder how many of you have been wrecked in life. To be crushed, to, to shatter, to smash. To break anyone's mind and affect with sadness. See, some of you are sitting here tonight with broken minds because of stuff that's been spoken over you, stuff that's been done to you. You've been shattered, you've been broken by it. Can I just tell you that the God who came near, your city of refuge, came to bind up the broken hearted to mend one stitch at a time. You know, I used to think that that meant, I, I will tell you that my life, Leslie and I get together to pray all the time. And, and, and I, when we pray, when I pray personally, one of the things that I pray all the time is, Lord, examine me and see if there's any wicked way in me. I do not want to be deceived by the pride of my heart. You see, the Bible says that we can be deceived by the pride of our heart. I, I don't want, I, 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 I have no interest in being a fraud. I have no interest in being inauthentic. You see, that's what's happening today in the pulpit is we've got preachers who can preach a good message because they put a good sermon together, but they are not living what they believe. And I'm going to tell you what, I have no interest in that. Maybe I'm just getting old enough, but I've just about had it. I either want to be the real deal or nothing at all. And we have got to come to that point, church, where we start realizing that God is who he says he is and he can do what he says he can do. And so when I go to him, I'm like, Lord, clean me up. Whatever is in me that needs to be fixed, I am asking you to reveal it. I don't want my eyes blind to it. I want to see it, Lord. I put people around me who I give permission to speak into my life. To say, Rhea, that was ugly. You need to look at that thing. I don't want to play games. I want to be the real deal. And so I'm constantly saying to him, Lord, what am I missing? What am I not seeing? Clean it up in me. I, I, don't, want, I don't want to be deceived by the pride of my heart. I want to be a light. I want to be, I want people to see the image of God in me. And so I used to think, I have some stuff. Anybody besides me have some stuff? I have some stuff in my life, stuff that, that, that I've been carrying with me for 50 years and, and stuff that I want fixed, I, I want healed. And I used to think, Lord, you're a miracle-working God. You can put your finger on that garbage in my life and you can bring healing to it, and why aren't you? Because I believe he's a miracle-working God. Can I tell you? I believe that he could one touch from him and your life can be changed. I believe it with every ounce of my being. But I'm telling you that this word here for mend, he came to bind up or mend the brokenhearted, it means to mend one stitch at a time. It's a process of healing. It's good. You see, if I had a broken leg tonight and I went to the doctor, that broken leg would hinder me. It would keep me from moving and, and being able to do the things I want to do. But if I went to the doctor, he would mend it. He would bind it. He would put a, a cast on it. He would bandage it. Are you with me? And, and it would be good enough for me to be able to use, but there would still, it would just begin the healing process. Are you with me? And when God binds up our broken hearts, sometimes that bandage it gets us to be able to, to, 
to, to be unhindered again from the wound, but it's still a healing process that we go through. And we get healed by going towards the God who came near and saying, Lord, I need you more than I need anything else. I need you more than the next breath that I take. Came to bind up the broken hearted. Same is true for our broken hearts. It takes time. He promises, he, nowhere do I see instantaneous healing. I see that as we get in his presence, as we spend time with a God who came near, that that healing happens over a period of time. I had surgery on my forehead not long ago. You all know this. And when I went in, it was deep. They had to cut deep to, to remove uh, the, 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 the tumor that was there. And what, when they did it, there was this massive gaping wound. And they let you in a room with like a, with like a little bandage, like a pressure bandage that they put on it. And they said, we'll come back in a little bit and see if we need to take some more and, and we'll stitch it up if we don't. And so when he left the room, I went, boom, I wanted to see what it looked like. I wanted to see that big old gaping wound. And it was a big old gaping wound. And what would happen if I had just said, you know what, doctor, I don't need you to stitch this up. I'm just going to go out like this. Are you with me? I would never do that. It was bleeding and it was gross. You could see all kinds of stuff in there. And I loved it. But you could see all kinds of stuff in there. And, and then he came back and he said, Rhea, there's nothing else there. We're going to go in and cauterize it and we're going to stitch it up. And, and, and he did that. It stopped bleeding. He cauterized it. It stopped bleeding. And then he stitched it up. And and it was still a wound, but it was closed. There's no gaping. There's no bleeding. There's no oozing all over the place. It was closed up. I can't just tell you, if you look really good, he put it right in my wrinkle. You can't even see it. It was massive. You can't even see it. And every month that goes by, it fades more and more and more. You can hardly see it. That's our life. See, some of you have big gaping wounds. And you are oozing all over people with your temper, with your anger, with your depression, with your bitterness. You need to let the Lord bind up those wounds in your life. And it may not be instantaneous healing, but I'm going to tell you what, it's going to close the wound. And that wound's going to be able to heal. He's going to pour in the triple antibiotic cream, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And I got me some scars. Can I tell you, I've had some stuff done to me. But those scars, you can press on them, look. It doesn't even hurt me. It does not hurt me anymore. It's evidence of what I've been through. But there's no pain there anymore. And that's what God who came near can do to your life. He can take the wounds, the things that have been inflicted, the manslaughter, and he can bring healing and wholeness into those areas. He says, name him Jesus because he will save, heal, redeem, deliver, bring wholeness to his people. Do you believe that? I, I, I know that we're running late, but I just want to show you just a few more things. Turn over to Psalm 34, verse 18. It's our memory verse for this week. And the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and those who are crushed in spirit or those who have saves those who have a contrite spirit i love that 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 scripture the lord is near to those who have a broken heart i i love it the lord there is jehovah we just study this those of you that are studying psalm 91 jehovah there it is the great i am it's the i am of god and i love that because it comes from the verb to be it means that everything you need him to be he will be for you do you know that he is the great i am do you understand that and, and that word, if you look it up in the original language, it means existence. Do you, do you know that he is your existence? That if you're looking for what you need in anything other than Jesus, you're going to be disappointed because he is the I am. He is the reason for our existence. He is our existence. He is the bread of life. There is no other life but in him. Do you understand that? You see, we preach that, but do you really understand that and so who is near to the brokenhearted who saves the contrite in spirit i am <laughs> that means if you broke my heart i can forgive you for it because everything i have need of is close 
to my broken heart. He's close to me. He's the God who came near. And I am looking to him for what I need. You don't have what I need anyway. So I can forgive you for trying to commit manslaughter. And I'm going to run to my city of refuge. And I'm going to find my healing and my wholeness in him. And then I'm going to be free to love you. Do you see that? The Lord is near to the broken heart. It's interesting to me that that word there is the same word. The Lord binds up the broken heart it. Only there's two words here, broken heart. The Lord is close to those who have a broken heart. Are you with me? So broken there is the broken hearted. It's the crushed, the, the wounded, the maimed, the lame. Are you, are you following me? The first scripture that I read to you from, from Isaiah 61. But there's another word here. The, those who are, have a broken heart. And that word heart, come on, what do I tell you it means all the time? Your mind, your will, your emotions. It's a picture uh, of someone who's been shattered inwardly and they can't get, seem to get free from it. Our brokenness referred to here is the inner life, our mind, our will, our emotions, and we just can't seem to shake it. I wonder if God who came near needs to touch any broken hearts here tonight, broken minds here tonight. I, I just want you to know he is able. He is able to do that. He is near to those who have a broken heart, and he saves such as has a contrite spirit. That word saves is not sozo there. You shall call his name Jesus, and he'll save his people from their sin. It's not sozo. This word saves means to be liberated. It means to be saved in battle. wonder how many of you are battling for emotional stability. To be victorious, to give victory to, to conquer, to be freed. Do you understand? He came so you could be freed. The Lord, the great I am, is close to those who need victory, who need to be freed. He wants to give it to you. Here's my favorite part of that definition. He saves. It means to be spacious or ample space. I'm like, Lord, what does that mean? I understand the victory. I understand that you want to free me from my broken heart. I understand that you want to free me from the things that have crushed me and broken me. But, but what does it mean that you want to give me ample space? Gwen, you love the word. You understand this. He wants to give me ample space between me and what wounded me. Oh, see, if you're sitting here tonight and you have never been done dirty, you won't appreciate that. But if you've been wounded, maybe as a little girl or a little boy, you've been done dirty, you will understand because that thing dogs you, that thing follows you, that thing you can't ever seem to get free from. Can I just tell you what? The God who came near, the great I am, wants to give you ample space, distance between you and that garbage that you can't seem to get free from, that memory that torments you, that memory that haunts you. Can I tell you? The great I am wants to give you space, distance between you and that awful thing. It doesn't have to define you anymore. It doesn't have to be always in the forefront of your mind anymore. You know, somebody who hurts you and every time you see them or you even hear their name, it brings something up inside of you. Can I tell you, God wants to give you ample space. And that doesn't mean I never want to see her again. I never want to be near them again. It means that it does not have to always take up prime real estate in your mind. Do you just love that? The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who have a contrite spirit. Oh, I love it. One of my favorite scriptures. Don, do we have the Isaiah 26 uh, scripture? I want to read it to you in the Amplified. I want you to listen closely. See, some of you think you cannot get free from your past. Some of you think that that thing has to define you all the time, that it's always going to bring you pain, that it's always going to torment you, that you're going to be the woman with the alabaster jar, that you're going to walk into a room and people are always going to be talking about you. Can I tell you, that thing can be rendered powerless in your life. Look at the scripture. Lord, you will ordain peace. That's God's favor and blessings, both temporal and spiritual for us. He'll ordain peace for you. Maybe you can't sleep at night. Maybe you're always tormented. Can I tell you, God wants to ordain peace for you. He says, you have also wrought in us and for us all of our works, O Lord. He says, O Lord, our God, other masters besides you have ruled over us, but we will acknowledge and mention your name only. They, the former tyrant masters, are dead. They shall not live and reappear. They are powerless ghosts. They shall not rise and come back. Therefore, you have visited and made an end of them and caused every memory. Hear me. He has caused every memory of them, every trace of their supremacy to perish. 
See, some of you are dogged by a memory. Some of you are dogged by stuff that has been spoken over you in your life. Some of you are dogged by people's opinions of you or stuff that's happened to you. Can I tell you, God wants to ordain peace to you. And he wants you to, to, to understand. He, it's the admission that other masters besides you, Lord, have ruled over us. I've let this thing be bigger than you, Lord. I've let what happened to me rule my life. I've let my, this thing be a tyrant master. Do you know that a tyrant master is not a good one? It's, a, it's, it's nasty, and it's always there. It's always dogging you down. And, and it's you saying, Lord, I will acknowledge that other masters besides you have ruled over me, and they were tyrant masters, but I will acknowledge your name only, the great I am, the, 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 the God who came near. I'm going to acknowledge your name only. And they, the former tyrant masters, will not live and reappear. They're powerless ghosts in my life. Powerless ghosts. You're going to cancel every memory of them, and every trace of their supremacy is going to fade in my life. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? That's scripture. I took that straight out of scripture. It can be a powerless ghost in your life. Ghost, you can, you know, I, I, you can see a ghost and say, you're powerless, can't hurt me. You have no power in my life anymore. Those memories, your past, your regret, can become a powerless ghost in your life. But you have got to, to go near the God who came near. The one who promises he can save, he can rescue, he can deliver, he can make you whole. We've got to make up our mind, church. Do we really believe this stuff? Do we really believe it? I've got to show you one more thing, and then I promise I'm going to let you go. Wait. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. you know that that word crushed means broken, very small? I love that because people who have been through some stuff, they have been made to feel like they are very small. And the Lord, the great I am, wants to deliver you from that. The Bible says that he stoops to make you great. Do you know that? I was telling you about the great I am, and uh, do you know that, that that word I told you, it's, I, I want to just go back and revisit that for a second. It, it, it's from the, 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 it means it's from to be. It's, it means it's he's constant. The God who was and is and always shall be. He's constant. He never changes. That's why it's so important that you learn his names. That's why it's so important that you get to know who he calls himself because he's constant. He never changes. He will always be your healer. He will always be your deliverer. He will always be this friend that sticks closer than a brother. He will always be your provider. Do you, do you see? Because it's his name and he never changes. He's constant. My mama had a, a mental illness. She was bipolar, or I'm sorry, she was borderline personality disorder. And so you never knew where my mama was going to be from one minute to the next. That, as a little girl, that is horrible growing up in that kind of home. Are you going to be sweet today or, or are you going to be growly today? Are you going to, are you going to get yelled at or, or is she going to embrace you today? We never knew. And, and so it was like walking on eggshells in our home. Where's mom at today? How, can we be happy today? Or are we going to be like this today? And, and it's this constant, you, she just changed. She would change with the wind. And, and can I tell you that there is great peace for me that I have a father, an eternal father who is constant, who never changes. He is always the same. I don't have to say, God, are you in a good mood today? I'm going to approach you, but are you going to like me today? Are you going to love me today? Are you going to accept me today? He's a great I am. He's constant. He never changes. He was, he is, he always shall be. I have to just show you this one last thing and I promise this is it. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, uh, I'm sorry, to Hebrews 13.5. Hebrews 13.5. Go back towards James. Hebrews is right before James. Hebrews 13, 5. This is so good. I can't let you go without this. So I happen to be looking at this verse this week. It says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we must boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. The reason I got to that verse is because I, for years, had this on my uh, refrigerator because I needed to know that he would never leave me or forsake me. 
only I had it on my refrigerator in the Amplified. I want to read it to you in the Amplified tonight. Let your character or moral disposition be free from love of money, including greed, lust, and craving for earthly possessions. And be satisfied with your present circumstances and with what you have. Here's the part I had in my refrigerator. For he, God himself, has said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not. He says it three times. Anywhere you see him repeating himself in scripture, he's saying it because he wants you to get it. I will not, I will not, I will not. In any degree, leave you helpless, nor forsake you, nor let you down or relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. He says, so let's take comfort and boldly and confidently say, the Lord is my helper. What can man do to me? Do you see, do you get that? The Lord is your helper. What can man do to you? So I went to the scripture to get that, to add to this sermon. And then I realized, Lord, why is it talking about money right before? Because you know, it's so important that we keep this stuff in context. So I was like, why do you have that scripture right after you talk about being free from the love of money and being content? Well, look at that. He says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. That word content means, and stay with me here, this is, there's a lot to grasp, but it's good if you can get it, to be possessed of unfailing strength, to be strong, to be enough, to be satisfied, to be contented. Lord, help me here. It's the same word that, that Paul uses when, when, when God says, my grace is sufficient for you. It's sufficient it, to enable you to, to it means my grace is sufficient to enable you to bear the evil manfully. There is therefore no reason for me, for you to ask for its removal. Are you with me? God says, Paul, my grace will be sufficient for you. You don't need to ask me to remove that thorn. You, my grace is going to give you what you need. That's that same word there. It means to be content. It means that you contain the power inside of you. Let me read what, what the... Warren Wiersbe says, the word content actually means contained. It's a description of the man whose resources are within him so that he does not have to depend on substitutes without. My grace is sufficient for you. You have all the resources within you. You contain everything you need. You don't have to look for a substitute out here. In other words, he's saying, be content. Don't be, don't be greedy. Don't be hungry for money. You have everything you need in here. And many commentators believe that if you back up to chapter 10, they're saying, just flip back to Hebrews chapter 10, that Paul is writing, or the writer of Hebrews is writing this because he's saying he, he needs to remind them of this scripture. They're dealing of this, of this time in their life. Uh, Hebrews 10, verse 34. He says, for you had compassion on me in my chains, and this is what I want you to see, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. One, one translation says, you endured with joy the robbery of your possessions. So, what the commentators say is that the Hebrews, their, their homes had been unlawfully confiscated, that they had been stripped of their possessions, they had been stripped of all their goods, and they embraced it with joy because the Bible says that they knew that they had a greater possession. They had God who came near, that they had a possession laid up in eternity. Do you, do you see that? And so they could joyfully say, take whatever you want of mine because I got a greater possession. Are you with me? And so Paul, in verse 12, or in chapter 12 that I read to you, he's saying, let me remind you to be content. You contain everything you need. Everything you need. Don't be satisfied with anything but that. Don't look for a substitute from the outside. Because God has said he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you, he'll never relax his hold on you. What can man possibly do to you? Let him strip you bare if he wants, but you have a greater possession. You have everything you need in him. You contain all you need. So you know what? You can march into a dinner party with Simon the Pharisee and everybody talking about you, and you can say, you know what? I really don't care because I contain everything I need. I contain it 
right here. I got me a better possession. You can strip me of everything. You can take my, you can try to rob me of my reputation. You can try to rob me of happiness. You can take my marriage. You can take my finances. You can take my home. You can fire me from my job. But you know what? You can't touch me because I got a greater possession. The God who came near lives inside of me. And everything I need for life and holiness and godliness is in me. And you know what? I am free to love you now. I'm free to love you because the one who is able, the one who is able came to rescue me. He came to bring me wholeness. He came to heal me and set me free. I don't have to be bitter and unforgiving. I don't have to be be holding this against you the rest of my life. I can forgive you for committing manslaughter. I can forgive you for coming at the image of God in me and trying to kill it off. But I can tell you what, he lives inside of me. You can't touch what I contain. That's a hallelujah if I ever heard it. Will you be content? Content knowing what you contain. What you contain. It's a description of the man whose resources are within him so that he does not have to depend on substitutes without. One last thing. I promise this is it. In chapter 10 when he says that you were robbed of your possessions. Are you with me? Of your goods. That word possessions, it means... It comes from the word, it means substance. It means the possessions, goods. It means one's substance, one's possession. But it comes from the word meaning to begin, to make a beginning, to come forth, to exist. It means your substance. It's interesting. I was looking up where that word was used. And you know in the Bible that says there was a man by the gate called Beautiful who was lame from birth? That word is used there. Lame and this word. And it means his existence was in his lameness. I could park there and preach on that one until I was blue in the face. He was lame from birth. And his existence, his total being, uh, his identity was in his lameness. See, some of us, our identity is in our lameness. It's in our brokenness. It's in our past. It's been what's dog. That's all we do. Let me tell you about my past. We, we, go to su- we go to support groups that just keep us in our past. Let me tell you my story. Let me go over my story with you. Let me repeat my story to you. Let me go over it 25 million times. Can I tell you, God came near to bring you wholeness, to set you free, to heal you, so it didn't have to be your story so his story could become your story it's not your existence it's not who you are it might be what happened to you trust me i got me some of that it might be what you had to endure i have some of that but it is not your existence it's not who you are it's unfortunate i'm sorry you had to live it but dear one It is not who you are. Let me tell you who you are. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are a son and a daughter of the most high God. You are his beloved. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are hemmed in behind and before, and his mighty hand is upon you. You are chosen by God, hand-picked by God. You are fearfully and absolutely wonderfully made. Every day of your life was ordained before one of them ever came to be. You're his treasured possession. You're his Hebzibah. He set his delight on you. Every last hair on your head is numbered by him. He's kept every tear you've ever cried in a bottle. That's how precious you are to him. Do you understand it? Now, instead of coming near all of those people who are judging you and want to condemn you and want to keep you in pain and commit manslaughter, can I tell you, instead of that, why don't you come near the one, the God who came near you? Who is your answer? Who is your existence? Who is your substance? Who is your possession? Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Rhea Briscoe, a division of Snowdrop Ministries. For more information about Rhea or how to connect with Snowdrop Ministries, please visit our website at www.snowdropministries.com or you can call 414 414- 581-8150. We pray you are encouraged and challenged to go deeper and grow stronger in your walk with Christ.